Aloha, y'all. Super stoked about this interview with Drew McManus from uh, Satsang, the lead singer of Satsang, actually. And what we'll do is play uh, one of the songs that we reference in the interview called Thrill of It All. Here as a little intro to the intro to the intro. And uh, strap on as we get meta about being meta and breaking normal. This guy's the man. Um, and it's amazing how much he praised Trevor Hall because Trevor Hall's the next scheduled interview. Trevor Hall and Jordan Bowditch, um, Thursday and Monday. So stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe so you're notified. And make sure you check out the most recent episode. It's a solo cast of me reading the afterword called Breaking the New Normal for my book, Breaking Normal. And if you do listen to that, the first five people that take the guidance will win a free month supply of tribe vitamins. And uh, Drew's going to get his tribe vitamins soon. So I'm so excited to see more and more epic influencers and fighters for freedom to get back on nature's original multivitamin. Vitamin. <laughs> Maybe I should take more. Um, but yeah, actually, it's funny. One of the things I'm starting to get really suspicious of, uh, other than the obvious nail growth and anti-fatigue factor and, and longer lasting stamina, is my vision. My vision is getting better. I mean that literally and metaphorically. So keep, see, keep tuning out the static, turn up the volume of that inner guidance, and uh, strap in for this epic ride with Drew and I, and keep breaking normal. Peace in, y'all. These days, even my closest of cohorts are telling me it's a waste. And that society is fine, and it's me that should change. Yeah, but stubborn and convinced that I know my own name And that the revolution can and will take Recording. Well, Drew, firstly, thank you for joining the podcast and breaking normal with me because this is the first official virtual interview. And I find that fascinating because I actually saw you in person in Denver. I forget the venue's name, but it was right Blue when... What is it called? Bluebird? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was our, that was our last... Well, one of our last shows right before, before COVID. Yeah, and then I, I remember on the cab ride back, uh, the girl I was with was telling me all about this C word and the virus and her brother and what was to come. And, um, you know, here we are about a year later. Mm -hmm. And uh, firstly, thank you. Thank you for your music. Thank you for what you do. Um, your band Satsang is one of my favorite collections of music I've ever been exposed to. And it's really my opinion, very powerful prayers that inspire me to hear more of the music that's all around me. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, that means a lot. Yeah, that was a, that was a, um, that was a weird time. So my manager, uh, my manager's wife is a business manager at a very, very high level. So she manages, uh, she's the business manager for Justin Timberlake, Justin Bieber, Kelly Clarkson, like a whole bunch of people. And we were all staying in Aspen together right after that show. We did two shows with OAR. And the whole time she was like putting out fires because this European tour 
was for Bieber was like falling to shit because of the virus. And I remember just being like, well, fuck man. Is that, you know, like her whole world was on fire and we're like, I don't know. I think we're good. You know, I think we're good. And, uh, yeah, boy, did, boy, did it change quick, but yeah, for me, it's been fuck man, probably the most transformative, healthy, uh, chunk of my life to date. You know, having all this time off, separated from the music and just getting to be home. It's been huge for me. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I've realized that I haven't gone to a gym since then. And I think I'm in better shape than I've ever been. Um, and I'm happy to see your face here. It looks like your eye healed pretty nicely. Because I think about a week ago, it looked like it was swollen shut. Yeah, it was. I broke my nose. And my nose didn't heal straight, which is, you know, that's just, you know, shit happens. And you know, if you fight all the time, your face will eventually look like you fight all the time. But yeah, man, I, uh, after I broke my nose, I sneezed and, uh, and it, it sent a bunch of air and fluid into my eyes. So my eye closed up. It was a, it was a deal. <laughs> well, you're saying a lot of things that I'm interested in and I'm excited to dive right in with you. And, uh, speaking of prayers, I, I consider this like a prayer that we're sharing and it's, it's a real honor. And I pray for the best synergy possible through this conversation. Okay. And I find it so cool that you were with OAR. That was the, that's probably the band that I've seen the most. Uh, yeah, the live. Part, those were our last two shows. Uh, was two shows with OAR at the Belly Up. Um, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so do you know those guys personally? Have you known um, them before I, that? No, didn't know them before that. But I've kept in touch with Mark. He's he's coming on my podcast uh, next week. Uh, he's a real sweet guy. You know, that, the thing to me that's most interesting about that band is that they've all been best friends since like eighth grade, um, which is so rare to start a band and have the same crew all the way through. But yeah, dude, they've all been friends since like fucking middle school. Like they started that band together in middle school. It just never stopped. Man, their music is so fun. I ha I'll admit, I kind of, they fell off my charts when they got more on the radio, which was an interesting paradigm. But they're like long-formed stories about playing poker and being at home on the Black Rock. And, oh man, I, that, that sings my, that's the, like the language of my soul right there. So I love those guys. Yeah, great shit. And for you, um, I, I think that this is maybe the year for, of podcasting for musicians. And a lot of times these musicians such as yourself are these like iconic mystery, mysterious figures that I know nothing about that I would love to learn more about. I know that I know about their soul and what calls to their soul through their music and their lyrics. But to have a conversation like this is such an honor. I have so many questions. Like you said, you fight all the time. How'd you break your nose? Yeah. Why do you fight all the time? I, I got to listen to some of your and JP's podcast right before this. Um, and I heard y'all talking about the King Warrior Lover Magician, but I'm curious how you fighting and that, that desire, uh, how that ties into your music and your life and your podcast. Um, you know, we, we had had a, had a run in 2017 where we were, you know, we had gotten asked to come do these three shows with Trevor Hall uh, in California and which was a huge, like, you know, holy shit at the time, like, wow, this is, this could be it, you know? And what happened was he, um, after the first show, you know, he just came up to us 
uh, and was like, yo, I, I called my people about halfway through your set and I, I want you on everything with me this summer. And simultaneously, uh, about a month prior to that, um, I, we had gone down and played three shows of Michael Franti and had the same thing happen. So we had this year that was just going back and forth between Franti tour, Trevor tour, Franti tour, Trevor tour, very little break. My wife was pregnant at the time. Um, and at the end of that whole year, you know, my agent dropped us, my drummer quit. Um, you know, I had like a little mini nervous breakdown and I remember being backstage at a festival in my trailer and just bawling by myself, you know, and I was texting with Carl who was out having fun. And I was just like, dude, I need a fucking break, man. Like, I don't know who I am, you know, outside of what we're doing anymore. Like, I have no clue who I am. And I had this inkling of like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to start boxing. Because I'd fucked around a little bit as a kid and was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to try boxing. And, you know, and, and I don't know. And, and there's, a, there's an MMA gym in Billings, Montana called The Grind House. And that's where all the pro fighters train. And I was like, all right, this is obviously the spot. And long story short, man, I went in there and uh, I got addicted really quick uh, to combat sports, you know, whether it was boxing and then I started doing jujitsu and started doing Muay Thai and um, I just got hooked, super, super hooked. And I became really, really tight with the people in there and none of them were associating me to my music. You know, I was just like the new guy in there. And um, it just served my soul in a really, um, a really positive way. And there's a, the thing with fighting is like, you're never, there's no end goal, right? The only end goal is to just keep getting better, but you're never just going to be like, okay, I've done it. Um, you know, you look at any fighter in any discipline and they get to a play, right? Muhammad Ali was the greatest of all time until he wasn't. So it's like, there's really no end goal to it. It's just like, let's keep making each other better. And I just got hooked on that. And now it's been, you know, a little over four years. And now I teach some classes and I'm going to start cornering guys. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to move in the next, to continue to go in the direction of, of coaching and training, which is really what I want to do. Um, so yeah, man, it's a huge part of my life. You know, like at this point, Mixed martial arts is is right up there with music for me. Wow. And then was that the first time you got your nose broken? Uh, no, no. I've had it broke a few times now over the course of the past four years. This is definitely the worst one. Um, we were sparring. We had a bunch of the pros um, sparring. And I, I love to spar, man. You know, I just love to fight. So I went down thinking that I was just going to do rounds with, with Mikey who is, who's probably our most, one of our most dangerous humans, but we just, we vibe really good, really good together when we're sparring. And, um, before we knew it, we had a room full of like six dudes and, um, I was sparring with one of our pros and he kept throwing this head kick and I kept blocking it. And there was only like 25 seconds left in the round. And it was my last round of the day. And I was just trying to be fancy, you know, like the last thing you want to do is try and duck a kick, you know, you want to check him. And, uh, I thought he was going to throw another head kick. So I dipped down 
And my plan was to dip under the kick and then leg kick him real hard and be like, gotcha. But he threw a body kick. So when I dipped my head down, his shin just hit me right in the middle of the nose. And it was one of those where like, I knew right away, you know, my eyes filled up with water, my nose turned into a faucet. And I looked up and was like, is my nose broken? And all of the dudes in unison went, yep. <laughs> you know, it was just like, boom. It wasn't as bad as it seems, man. You know, none of that shit is. Everybody thinks getting hit in the face is like the worst thing in the world. It's really not that bad. Um, you know, adrenaline helps and stuff like that, but it really wasn't a thing. Um, the The next 12 hours sucked pretty bad, but I was fine from then on. Yeah, I um, that's something we have in common. When I was younger, I had put a little boxing fight club together. They got so big, my baseball coach forced me to choose. Like he was going to kick me off oh, the boy. team, and I was the captain of the baseball team. He's like, "Is going to kick me off the team, or if I don't stop this fight club?" And um, I loved it. I have never felt more alive. Arguably, maybe surfing for like these short windows, like these thirty second windows. Yeah. Um, but I have a pretty, I have a pretty big nose. It's pretty uh, strong, and I haven't had it. I, I, I like it not being broken. That that part scares me. Yeah, it's a whole deal, man. And then it's crooked for the rest of your life. You know, for me, man, I've always called it uh, consciousness at gunpoint. You know, whether it's rock climbing or ice climbing or fighting. You know, I just have a pretty busy brain. Um, so for me, any activity where if I'm not present, my personal safety is at risk. I tend to thrive in those environments pretty well. Um, you know, I, I'm not very good at meditating. I sure give it, give it the old college try. Um, but for me, if there's a, if there's a threat of impending harm, I tend to stay present a lot better. Well, I, I imagine a lot of the musicians that you um, are associated with, and maybe you can tell me if this is right or wrong, are not like that. I, I maybe imagine Nako, but not for some dude. reason, all these all these dudes are soft. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I mean that in the most loving way ever. But yeah, man, uh, I know one musician, the drummer for Ayaterra. Um, prior to joining Ayaterra, was an MMA fighter. But you know, everybody else, like, dude, it's just like anything, right? So you said you played baseball. Bro, I can wear baseball jerseys and baseball hats and shit like that and walk around like um, if I had the opportunity to play baseball, I'd be really good at it. But unless you're practicing baseball all the time, you're not going to be good at it. <laughs> you know, it's like that's just how it is. It's like it's just like anything, you know. Um, so it's really funny. We, we joke all the time. We usually use basketball, but it's like, you know, the like tough guys walking around like, dude, I fuck, I played basketball when I was real drunk in college a couple times, dude, I'll be anyone in one-on-one. It's like, well, dude, there might be a 45 year old guy that's in a men's league that plays basketball four times a week and he's going to smoke your ass, you know, because <laughs> you know? he practices it all the time. So it's a real intentional practice for me, you know? Um, but I, you know, I mean, in, in different strokes for different folks, dude, getting hit in the face is not for everybody. That's for sure. You know, I don't know why I like it. Well, that's awesome. It's definitely inspiring me because that's what I've been inspired to do. I, I'm, go I'm going through a lot uh, with this launching the Tribe Vitamins Company, which is interesting that you have Montana behind you and I have this big-ass bison behind me. That's, uh, that's my animal, bro. Tell me what you mean by that. I'm very curious. You know, so uh, since I was real little, dude, I've just always been obsessed with them. And um, 
you know, my, my dad, when I was about six, started calling me Buffa Drew or Drew Below. There was always like a play on these words. So I've always just been real, real attached to, uh, to the animal. And um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. There's this weird mystique with that animal that I don't have with, with any other creature. Um, and uh, yeah, I just love them. I love them deeply. It's a weird thing. Well, they're deeply, uh, like they've, they're, I'm in a bison herd. I feel like I'm in a bison herd all of a sudden. So much so that I'm renting my friend's apartment right now here in Arvada. And he's an artist, obviously. And he's, this one is his painting. He, what the freak? Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do something. I'm going to, um, I'm going to switch my headphones real quick. Cool. All right. One minute. All right, I'm back. That was strange. Breaking normal. No worries. anyways, this guy he has this uh, this bison, the piece that he's not he hasn't he's not happy with it, and it's like hiding in his closet. And his daughter told me about it, and I was like, "Dude, I'll take it. That's dope." I <laughs> know. Uh, and then it's just this. I can't. The synchronicity of that is mind bending. And I really feel like the bison want to roam free and they're mm-hmm. calling me and they are a symbol of the freedom that our culture is seeking right now. Like the cow and the fence, the fences and the cows, like, oh, that's getting quite concerning right now. Just being a herd, like straight up herd animal. You, we're we're going we're gonna to use that oblong box in the corner of your room to scare you into this like group think herd mentality. Oh shit. And it's working. And at the same time, there are bison. Like I know that's what I got from the conversation with you and JP, like embodying the spirit of the bison, like, Hey, take down the fences and take down all the control and we'll thrive. We'll thrive on our own. Yeah. And the constant yeah. opinion right now too, which is a wild thing. You know, I got so much heat for having him on the podcast. And the people that were giving me heat didn't even listen to it. Um, you know, there was, there was people that were legitimately like hashtagging cancel satsung for, for having a conversation, not for publicly saying I agree with everything JP's ever said. I actually said in the podcast multiple times that I don't agree with a lot of what he says, um, but that I respect him and, 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 th- and think he's a special man. Um, you know, so that part, that whole thing was so eye-opening for me to just see that there is facets of culture right now that um, are that scared of conversation, you know, conversation. It's, uh, it blows me away, man. It freaks me out. Well, for me, the tribe vitamins, the tribe that I'm a part of is a tribe that uh, my grandparents survived the Holocaust by starting a potato garden under a graveyard. And doing and defying the authorities. And that's why I'm here. And some people might think that's an extreme thing to tie what's happening to now. But I, I think that the slow drip of communism is happening alarmingly fast. And I am purposefully tuning out the static of a lot of the news and tuning into people there. They're tuned into their heart. They're listening 
to something much bigger than a projection of fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, for me, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm fine. There's levels to it for me, you know, like I'm, I'm fine wearing a mask. That's not that huge of an inconvenience for me. Um, what I'm not fine with is when, uh, you know, a cure starts being worse than a disease, you know, and as, as a traveler, um, you know, when I read things like 90% of family owned businesses in New York city are going to die. I think about the, not just the, the, uh, economic implications of that, but the cultural implications of that. That is what culture is, man. It's food, it's music, it's people, it's different nationalities being able to present their culture, which is usually done through music, food, fashion. And if those things go away, then it sets up a very interesting, um, a very interesting paradigm where like, if you look at like a socialist Venezuela, um, you know, a company moved in. And if you look at all of the gas stations, there's one brand of gas. You go to the grocery store, there's one brand of food. Um, and it takes away choice. And anytime we're taking away choice, uh, I, it's, it's a fucking dangerous game, man. It's a very dangerous game when we take away choice. Um, you know, I think the, the big thing JP and I disagree on is I have no fucking problem wearing a mask. That's fine. You know, I'm a fucking super healthy individual. I'd like to think statistically, if I were to catch COVID, I would be fine. And if I did catch it, that I would, you know, I live in the fucking middle of the mountains, man. Like I'm not going to come into contact with a shitload of people, but I say all that to say, like, I'm not against some of the precautions that are being put forth. What I'm against is the death of culture in the name of safety. It's the most un-American idea that we could have. It's super dangerous, and it sets up a very dangerous precedent of, you know, unilateral takeover where small businesses die and big box stores that are owned by corporations continue to thrive and make record profits. And that is, uh, that is not better than less safety to me. And that's just my opinion, you know, but, uh, freedom will always be more important than safety to me because that's just the person that I am. Well, we definitely agree on the, um, ability to disagree with someone and still team up. That's a major part of what breaking normal means to me. It's like shifting into the frequency of heart sync instead of group think. Like I can disagree with you about God, sex, money, politics. Yep. And we can still team up. That's what I believe. (laughs) So I thank you. I think that's something we agree on paradoxically enough. And uh, what, so what are you doing in this potentially dire situation for culture? And what would you, what do you hope to inspire others to do potentially? Well, to start fucking asking questions, you know, and, and we live at a time right now that's really overwhelming, you know, where it's like the news is scary. It's there's three new strains of COVID and they can be, you know, they're far more uh, transferable than the other ones. And it's this constant state of now you have to wear two masks and now you have to wear two masks and an eye shield. And now it, where it's like, I think people need to start looking at data by themselves and forming their own opinion based on education, not emotion. Because what the media thrives on is emotion. 
Um, that's why there's 99% bad news and 1% good news because those negative emotions will keep people glued to the screen. If they're scared, they need to be told what's next. So the, the formula for the news is, is, has been the same for a really long time. It's um, whether it's a war going on or a, or a virus or uh, you know, a possible conflict, it is um, agreed upon that the narrative should be fear, concerned, cliffhangers. You know, what's next? Okay, we'll come back to CNN.com tomorrow so we can tell you what, you know, <laughs> what the next step is for you. Um, and while I do believe that this virus is very real and, you know, I've had friends get it that were rather healthy that took months for them to get back to normal. I think that there is zero emphasis being put on immune health, what increasing vitamin D, zinc, and C, and decreasing visceral fat uh, will do for one's body and its ability to fight viruses. Every single person that I know that's an MMA athlete that has gotten it has lost their taste of sense and smell. That's it. No cold symptoms. No, oh man, I felt really shitty. No, nothing. Just, yeah, man, uh, I didn't feel good for a day and then I lost my sense of taste and smell for a week or two weeks. Um, which what that tells me, I'm not a doctor, but what that tells me is that people that are super, super healthy um, are kind of blowing through this thing. And I read a statistic a while back that said 96% of people that have been hospitalized for COVID had a vitamin D deficiency. Why the fuck is that not front page news? Why is that not on CNN? Like, yo guys, we found a huge, huge piece of information here. Start taking vitamin D3, loads of it, you know, but that's not the news. That doesn't sell, you know, where too much. Exactly. Don't see your family. <laughs> and who would make most of the money on that news? There'd be a variety of vitamin D companies. Right. Yeah. There's no monopoly on vitamin <laughs> D3. Yeah. <coughs> Well, I can say that um, on that thread, because I do believe a lot of people are very frightened and they are wondering what to do next. And in case they are listening to this podcast, I believe I caught it in uh, December 2019 before it was a word that was in the zeitgeist of America. But it is COVID-19, meaning it was around 2019 and um, pretty hardcore. I was going through a divorce. I mean, I was in the middle of the beginning of going through a divorce and I'm trying to take care of my daughter and and new living situations. So I had a lot going on and I took Motrin, which I would not advise anyone to do with this specific virus. Um, and then I also, I was just with my parents two months ago and they both tested positive and they got a more, they got kind of what I got in December, 2019. And it seemed pretty extreme and they were very frightened because they're, my mom has, she believes she has pre-existing conditions. My dad's like 60 something. <laughs> And, um, they did different strategies and it was my, my mom's been a nurse for over 40 years. My dad's been a pharmacist for over 40 years and they've been, oh, wow. we all have done a lot of research on this. Um, my dad owned a couple pharmacies at one point. It was almost like creating drugs at one point. And to, to me, it's very clear that what you mentioned, the zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, um, these are great prophylactic protocols, but if someone catches it, especially if they're elderly and they're concerned, um, I'm, what my mom did was she did an antibody infusion before the symptoms set on. She could just like felt, felt something in her throat and sure enough, she had COVID and she did this antibody infusion. And I think it's the same thing Donald Trump did. Yep. She was lit 
She's got, she felt better than she did like the day before. Um, and then her symptoms kept going a little bit, like battling, but she also took hydroxychloroquine and Zithromax. Yeah. And this is another thing that, that like there's been doctors screaming on the top of their lungs about that get censored. Yeah. Um, and then once again, because that, this drug already exists forever and they're not going to make, it's not, it would not make nearly as much money as a vaccine. I'm not saying that's why, but for some reason that's why it's getting censored. And so my dad did not do the hydroxychloroquine. He took, he did what the PA told him to do when he tested positive, which was this Vivectrum, this anti-parasite medicine. And his symptoms kept getting worse and his lungs kept not like my mom was like getting better and better. She was almost like, are you feeling better than you better with COVID than you did before? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but so then my dad ended up getting hydroxychloroquine like a week later, cause he was kind of frightened about what was happening. And then he had a huge, he burned everything off that night. Like the next morning he started getting better. So yeah. I, I'm a huge believer in that news that the doctors were screaming about that. I don't know if you can find online anymore because I've seen it with my own eyes and I understand it's a cheap drug that anyone can get. Um, if they get a prescription, but doctors are not prescribing it. Some doctors are not prescribing it. Yeah. Well, everything is, has the thing that was interesting is the time that it came around, everything was, you know, we're getting looking at an election and all this shit. So there's this, there is this blowback of things being politicized where it was like anything Fauci said became like the Democrat stance anything that Trump said came became the Republican stance. So there was kind of this weird um, political heat behind everything. And these ideas were kind of assigned to a party, which was really weird because, it, you know, I, I've said this a bunch recently where I'm a, by nature, I'm a critical thinker. So if someone doesn't think like me, you know, my instinct is not to shut them down. It's to say, okay, well, let's both get out our notebooks. You tell me what you know, I'll tell you what I know. And let's fucking compare notes. Um, because maybe we're both right. Or maybe we're both full of shit. And it's just really weird that when this huge virus was coming, that there really wasn't any of that. It didn't seem where it, what you would have thought would have happened is like, okay, well, give me your hydroxychloroquine studies and I'm going to compare that with this vitamin D study. And then we'll talk to these people that are doing the antibody work. And maybe there's this like Venn diagram where in the middle, we figure out how to just fucking neutralize this thing. But it was, and everyone kind of had to stay in their own little pockets. And again, anytime we're talking about pharmaceuticals or the medical industry, you know, the dollar sign is at the forefront of that. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I'm to a point where I want everyone to be safe. I don't think we should be doing, you know, mass gatherings in like super enclosed areas. Um, I think we have to ease back into that, but then there's also this level of like, we can't just allow businesses to die because that is what our country is, is it's these, like I was saying, that's what our culture is. That's culture, man. These restaurants, these bars, these, you know, museums or whatever the fuck, these stores, like that's culture. And, and again, if we're, we're seeing, you know, my wife's a psychotherapist and uh, relapse rates um, suicides, depression, like these things are just skyrocketing. So we got, there's gotta be a middle, there's gotta be a middle of the Venn diagram where it's like, yeah, let's continue to be careful and be safe, but let's also not, 
ruin everybody's life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, and I don't know what that is. That's, that's where I'm stuck, you know, cause I'm not, I don't have the answers. Um, but I, I, I think we're getting to a place that's, that's crazy. And, and one thing that I point out all of the time, I have friends that own very large MMA gyms all over the country in very large cities that were shut down where the local law enforcement said, nah, dude, keep doing your thing. We're not enforcing this shit. You got to keep your gym open. No outbreaks. So what the fuck? Um, either it's because all of these people that are training are super, super healthy or because the asymptomatic spread thing isn't what they say it is, you know? Because in theory, if the asymptomatic spread thing was such a thing, you think there'd be outbreaks at gyms all over the world, and there hasn't been. Yeah, yeah. To continue comparing notes, I was I was with my family and I was living with them as they went through that like ten to fifteen day experience. And what happened to me the set? What I think was the second time, I actually lost my taste and smell. Yeah. I, I lost it for like five days and then I got tested five days later before I picked up my daughter and it was negative. And I, I could like guarantee it was negative basically before even taking it. Cause I could taste and smell and I had no other symptoms and that's what happened to me. And I yeah, think that's my bass player got it twice. And the first one was fucking rough. He got it in February. Like I, I think it's, I wonder if the beginning was rougher, like before there was, was herd immunity. I think it a hundred percent was man, because he was fucked. Like he was saying, he told me, hey, his was really, it seemed like early on everyone was getting the lung thing, right? Like very respiratory. Yep. And his lungs were fucked up for a few months, but he was talking about his fatigue. He's like, bro, I would get out of my bed, go to the bathroom to take a piss and would like look across the hall to my room and just be like, nah, I'm just going to lay down on the bathroom floor, man. Man. And, and, then, and then when he got it the second time, same thing. Taste and smell. I talked to him every day. He's like, no, dude, I feel fucking fine. And I tested positive twice. I just don't have my, my taste and smell. I feel great though. Like I, I don't feel sick. I just have tested positive twice. So I'm staying inside. This is all so fascinating. And that's probably the most similar story that I've heard with this most similar timeline. But mine was December. I remember December 22nd. I remember yeah. it very specifically. And I remember a two week period because I do breath work almost every day. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do my breath work. I was every time I tried to breathe, I was like, <coughs> yeah. And that was like for two weeks straight. But on December 22nd, I didn't leave my house. And I don't know if I've ever, I can't, I don't have another memory of not leaving my house. Yeah. I was, I was toasted. And that was like the, I think the winter solstice. And I think Ram Dass passed away that day. Yeah. I was like, what in the heavens is going on around here? And so this yeah. is, a tr- it is a tricky thing. And I think the uh, symptoms from someone getting whatever this is, is a real thing. Although I've talked to like, People that are very wise and they, some of them seem to, they're questioning if it's real and if it's a 5G thing. And I'm like, whoa, that's a, yeah, I can't that's go a twister. Far, I can't go too far down <laughs> wormholes, you know, because at the end of the day, I have no problem um, if we're talking to an unbiased person in a field that isn't being paid by anyone to share their opinion. Um, you know, I have no, like, again, I'm not a fucking scientist. So if I'm talking to a scientist or a doctor, you know, typically I'm going to listen to them and assume that they know more than me unless they're telling me not to train. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. You know, I, I don't get too deep into the conspiracy theories cause shit's just so out there right now. I think that, I think that just fucking throws a can of hairspray into the already massive bonfire 
and it's just, you know, creating more fireballs and confusion. That is hilarious. <laughs> you, you made that metaphor because the, one of the most reckless things I've ever done when I was like a teenager, I, we used to throw aerosol cans into fires that we made. Yeah, really. So one day one flew out coming at me like a literal fireball and I ducked last second. It was coming right at my face. Yeah, that would And hurt. never did that again. Never yeah. threw an aerosol can of fire. Now you're fucking shooting shrapnel at your buddies. <laughs> uh, so where do you see this going for the music world? For like you as a Ipecreal's band, for touring, for 20, uh, whatever year we are in now, yeah. 2021? <laughs> you know, I think for bands our size, we're going to do great because we do, you know, three to 600 tickets. So, well, I think initially this was super hard on bands our size and smaller. Um, I think, I think the, the general consensus is in the industry that fall tours will happen. Um, and that summer shows are going to happen outdoors that will just be limited capacity. All the big festivals are already moving to 2022. Um, but we'll see, you know, I think a lot of it is on this administration and, and, and do they want to get back to business or do they want to, you know, not. Um, but I'm confident that fall is going to happen. Um, all of the promoters that we've talked to and AEG and Live Nation and these really big companies all seem pretty positive that fall will happen. Um, so, you know, until then, I'm doing some solo stuff next month in Texas and I'll keep doing little solo and hopefully some duo stuff. Excuse me, some duo stuff. And then um, what we're planning on doing is trying to do a big outdoor thing here. There's an outdoor venue outside Livingston that you might have that you might be familiar with, uh, Pine Creek. Um, it's out by Prayer. It's out kind of by Chico. Um, okay. But there's camping and shit all around it. And he was saying that this summer he's going to do 250 person shows. So I want to, we have to get the full band back together, man. I miss my friends and I miss playing and I want to play these new songs. So what we're talking about doing is doing, you know, and that venue typically holds like 700 people. So okay, um, it'd be super safe. It would be outside. I would want to play when the sun was still out, you know, so late afternoon. Um, but the plan would be to do like three, three days out in Montana. And this place is fucking a five minute drive from where we made the record, which is really cool. Um, and then do some out, outdoor stuff in Colorado at the Mishawaka the following weekend. So that's what we're really working on right now is getting all that lined up and, and just, we got to get the fucking band back together, man. Like these solo shows are fun. It's fun to storytell and stuff like that. But dude, it's a whole different thing. Um, putting in the in-ears and having the gear set up and the fucking backdrop and being with my best friends and just like there's a fucking magic that happens when we all play together that we're all really missing. Um, and, you know, I talked to each of my boys yesterday for about an hour each, you know, and everyone's fighting off this thing, this like, yeah, man, trying to just stay positive and like, know that it's going to come back, even though we don't know when. And like, but everyone's getting to the end of their rope. You know, we all miss each other, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and not just the missing of the playing music, but we just miss each other. And, um, fuck. 
So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we can do some stuff this summer together as a band and not just me, you know? Well, that sounds epic. The uh, Montana three-day outdoor experience that that's that'd be right up my alley keep me in keep me in the loop about that and then um the texas we're in texas are you playing a solo so i'm doing um i'm doing one show in dallas fort worth and then i'm doing two shows in austin nice yeah the first one in austin sold out quick i'm really pumped on the on the austin trip i'm gonna get a hang with aubrey and um justin wren and the founders of ways to well um, just some really interesting people um, that I've, you know, people that I've wanted to hang with and, and, and pick the brains of for some time. So I'm really excited about that Austin trip. Um, yeah, Austin's epic. One of my favorite places. So what are you doing in Montana? Like, why, what's your living situation? How'd you get up in the middle of nowhere in Montana? Um, so I was living in, I grew up in Des Moines and then I moved to Chicago in my late teens. And, uh, you know, struggled a lot with addiction and just fucking partying. And then it became not really a party anymore and more of a, a slow and steady drip of death. And uh, so I moved to Montana to get my shit together and, and kind of start over. And um, I got a job at this coffee shop when I got out of treatment. And this smoke show of a woman would come in every day. And I was just fucking fully smitten, man. But she had three kids. She just got her master's degree. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm 22 and just got out of rehab. And I'm working at a coffee shop and sleeping on a couch. <laughs> but um, I stuck with it, man. I stuck with it. And she moved up to the mountains and I followed her. And um, yeah, here we are 11 years later, still together. Um, so that was wow. how I got here. Yeah. But when I first lived here, bro, I was a dirtbag. You know, my whole life was, you know, I worked on the ski hill in the winter and that was my, my life force was, was skiing. And then in the summer it was fly fishing and rock climbing. And that was my world, man. That was all I did. And I worked at a gear shop when it wasn't winter. So my whole life revolved around playing outside you know, and when I wasn't playing outside, I had a job helping people get the shit they needed to go play outside and telling them where to go. And um, yeah, I was really blessed that when I got serious about Satsung after the trip to Nepal, I um, my my job was real cool where I would have like paid vacation time and they would like space it out where I'd be like, okay, I want to go do a three-week tour. And they'd be like, okay, well, we'll space your payout in here and then just let us know when you're going to be back. They were so fucking cool. And then I switched to part-time and it was this really gradual uh, leaving of the shop. Um, but they were super supportive of it. And, but now dude, since COVID, I mean, I'm getting back to all the shit that I used to do, you know, like last year was the first summer I've had home in fuck five years. So lots of fishing, being on the river, climbing, hiking, that explains, in my opinion, I'm not, um, where a lot of maybe the source of your music comes from. And uh, yes, I, I, where where do you think? Where do you think you're the source? Of, I mean, so your biggest songs now, and how everything's come to fruition. Bef- did you have a feeling like, oh, when I wrote "I Am" or what, how how did these things come to fruition to you? Is there a is there a pattern at all? Or what, what do you say about that? Hang on, I'm gonna grab something and then I'll answer that question. All 
Yeah. So the, the funny story with I am is I didn't particularly care for it and I didn't even want to put it on that record, (laughs) you know, and Carl was like, no, dude, I think it's a great song. I think people dig it, you know? And, uh, so I did, I thought it was a bit of an overshare and, um, but we put it on and it took a while for it to, to get traction. But most of the story of you was written in Nepal. Um, and I didn't know a lot of them were songs like thrill of it all. I didn't know was a song. I, um, you know, it was just a journal entry that I made at the top of Renjo pass in the Kumbu. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, something happened in Nepal about halfway through the trip, starting on that day, where it was this, like, not, there was no pressure to it, but it was really like, so what the fuck are you going to do, man? You know, because I had taken this crazy job in Utah and made, you know, seven, eight grand in a couple months, and then spent it all to go to Nepal. So... (laughs) Uh, so about halfway through the Nepal trip, it was just like, so what the fuck are you going to do, bro? Like, what is it? And I always had wanted to do music, but I was just like, I just don't know how, like, I don't even know where the fuck to start. But what I, what the download I got in Nepal was it's time, you know, it's time to go. And so I got home and just went, you know, I, I had a, had a friend named David that played the mandolin and he was, he was down and was like, yeah, man, these songs are great. Let's play them. And, you know, we met this college kid that was talent buying for college events that was like, yeah, I mean, I understand how the booking process works. So he became our agent and um, we just started playing, you know, and then that evolved into a band and, you know, lots of touring all over the country and playing for nobody, like nobody, you know, nobody. like fucking being thousand was there literally somewhere you played and there was not one person (laughs) yeah no there was uh there was uh yeah more than a few shows where we played for um the the bartender and the sound guy wow um which is really hard to do because you know you're not getting paid when you're done and um But man, I just kept plugging away and kept plugging away. And then really where I think everything changed was I had met Trevor Hall in, um, in, um, in Hawaii at an event. And, and I just hit it off with him and his wife because they had both spent a lot of time in Nepal, particularly his wife, uh, had, had spent a shitload of time there. And we just really connected on the Nepal thing. And, um, you know, probably a year or two later, I messaged Trev and was like, Hey man, can I call you? I just want to ask you some questions. And he's like, yeah. And I was just like, dude, what the fuck, man? What am I doing? You know, like it's been two plus years and we're just touring and I'm playing for nobody. And he was just like, you're doing it, man. Like this, this is what it is. You're doing it. And everyone sees how hard you're working and the perception of, of work is more important than, anything you know and soon after that you know i just kind of asked him i believe outright in that conversation like dude could we play some shows with you like it'd be really cool to play and fuck play in front of people 
And he's like, yeah, man, let me see. Let me see where I could fit it in. You know, let me see what shows don't have openers and I'll, and I'll see what I can do. And, um, yeah, we got put on, put on those tours. You know, he gave us those three shows in California and, you know, I don't, have you talked to Trev yet? Has he been on the podcast yet? He's the ne- on Monday. He is. So this is a great setup. I'm like, yeah, this is so, inspiring to hear about y'all's connection. So I, I, you know, I've said this publicly a lot of times. Um, Trevor is, let me see if I can do it without messing up. He's just a real one, man. He, he's always been such a good brother to me, man. He's always picked up his phone when I call. He's always been there for me. And anytime shit has gotten wild in my career, he's always the person I call. He's always the person that talks me off the ledge. And, um, you know, it's funny because with this whole COVID thing and this time off, um, something he said to me one of those times has really been a mantra for me. I called him, you know, when I told you about getting dropped by the agent and the drummer quitting, um, our drummer quit actually his last show was us playing with Trevor at the Mishawaka. And, um, but I called Trev bawling, you know, mm. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like we just did these huge tours. We finally like built this momentum. Why would she drop us? You know? And I was crying, you know, and he's just like, breathe, dude, breathe. And then he said, it's in times like these that it's really important to remember that a mountain is still a mountain and a river is still a river. And when he said it to me at the time, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, what a mountain in a What are you fucking talking about, dude? And um, it's funny because when COVID hit, when I was getting the news, I was powder skiing, dude. We had like 28 inches. So I'm getting calls throughout the day while I'm having the most epic solo powder day of my life. And my agent manager just keep giving me bad news every couple hours. Like, yeah, man, it's not looking good. I think we got to pull the Seattle show. Yeah, there's, <laughs> we can do San Francisco, but it's got to be 200 cap. Now they're saying 100 cap. You know, this was hour by hour. So when I got the news that we had to pull this tour, I was like, all right, man, that's fine. Because I kept coming back to that. I'm skiing. And riding the lift, just like a mountain, still a mountain, and a river is still a motherfucking river, baby. You know, <laughs> just like none of this shit matters, dude. I have my skis on. I live in the most beautiful place on earth. It's fine. It's always fine. Everything is always okay, you know. And but I say all that to say, man, Trevor is a real sage, um, and he uh, is the more than anyone I've ever met in my life is the perfect balance between typically people that are as deep into their spiritual practice as Trevor get real weird and kind of lose this, you know, if, if we're going to call the left side of the line, I go to work, I handle my shit. I can operate in the human world efficiently. And the far right side of the line is I don't leave the cave because I'm too deep in my spiritual practice, Trev does this beautiful tightrope walk right in the middle, you know, better than anyone I've ever met. And um, yeah, it's so funny. I don't even know if he knows how profound that advice that he gave me that day was, but it's really my mantra, man. Um, I come back to it daily. You know, it's been, yeah, it's huge medicine. 
uh, it's, that's definitely affirming to like the synchronous lineup I have of him being next on the schedule. So uh, I, I have not, uh, I've been to a show in the Red Rocks and there's a lot of stuff embedded in his music as well. I mean, who else? Uh, like, it's funny. There's a, definitely a circle. It sounds like there's a, uh, a tribe of y'all that collaborate, that support each other. Who other, are, are there other musicians that have been in your life or maybe not even personally in your life that have been a major inspiration to you? Um, well, it's interesting, you know. Um, I think there's this outside perception that, like, me, Trev, and Nako, and Rising App, and all these people are kind of friends and... Um, that's not really the case. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There is that perception. That that's the kind of the perception I would guess. But yeah, it also yeah, it's not hugely yeah. shocking what you're saying. So I'm curious to learn more. Yeah, no, not at all, man. I'm not really close with many people. Um hmm. outside of my circle, you know, like my band, um uh, the people that I train with, you know, I would say my my closest person to me aside from my wife and kids is uh will grunhauser the owner of the grindhouse you know that's like my that's my guy you know that's who i that's who i run everything by hmm. um and my manager me and my manager are very very close um but trev's really the only musician that i would consider um a close friend wow. you know, everyone else is kind of like you know, and, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, but like, you know, when I bump into the rising app girls, it's always good to see them. When I bump into Mahali, it's always great to see him. Um, but it's just, you know, my life's hectic, bro. You know what it is. I'm a stay at home dad. So like my time is, you know, and in between training and, and being a dad and cooking dinners and making lunches and working out and getting training. in, it's like, you know, I'm just tight. You know, my life is tight, so I don't let many people in, you know. Oh, well, well, thanks for the elimination around that. And, and <laughs> so you're, you're a queen there. She, y'all got together and she had three children already? Yeah. And, um, you know, their, their father, soon after me and Summer getting together, just kind of drifted out of the picture, you know. So they had kids real young. You know, Summer was 19 when she had Caden. And Craig wasn't much older, their dad. So he didn't, he was kind of robbed of his 20s. So I think when they got divorced and he saw that I had stepped in and was around all the time, I think he kind of went, okay, well, I'm going to go have my 20s now. Um, mm -hmm. And then he just kind of disappeared, which for our family system was great um, because it allowed um, me to just kind of step in the role as dad rather than this like weird thing. Um, but I don't, you know, I'd never call my kids, my stepkids. That's, you know, Chloe was fucking just turned four. Colden was five, maybe about to turn six or maybe it just turned six, you know, and now they're high schoolers, you know, those are my kids. Um, and then, and then we had Malachi three years ago this April. Whoa, wait, wait, what's April? Davina's birthday is April. She'll turn four April 7th. Dude, you ready for this? I uh, guess. <laughs> I'm holding my son Malachi, whose name means God's messenger, 
was born on April 4th at 4.44 in the afternoon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not, I'm not deep into the numerology thing and shit, but when that happened, <laughs> that was like, are you fucking serious right now? And they say that four is the angel's number. You know? Wow. And is, will he turn four this April? He'll turn, he'll turn three April 4th. Three, three. Okay, wow, wow. That's amazing. Well, um, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, man. So being a dad, that's my, that's my gig, dude. That's my, that's my heart. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that to me, it's like arguably the purpose of my life from how I understand it. Yes. Yeah. And, and people that don't have kids, they just don't, they don't know that yet. You know, you don't know until you know, man. And you're just something really magical happens inside of you when your life becomes for somebody else. You know, like there's a, there's a purpose of like, oh man, this isn't just me running my own program. I have to teach a program. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to live a program that can be observed and, uh, and, and absorbed. Um, and it's, it's the most beautiful responsibility in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm never going to pretend like, oh, was it, is it easy? No, I'm not saying that, but I will say that continuous moments, they're like this just with Davina telling out of nowhere, running up to me and telling me that she loves me. And it's just like the divine, genuine sweetness of this interaction may have been the best moment in my life. And that continuously yep. happens. And um, so for all the other, the tears and the chaos, it's like every breath that each breath has been worth all of it. Yeah. It was funny, man. I had a day with Malachi a few weeks ago. He was being a monster. <laughs> and, um, it was nap time and we were laying down and there was this whole 15 minutes of screaming and kicking and throwing stuffed animals off the bed. <laughs> and he finally starts falling asleep and he was about, you know, a foot from me on his bed. And he's like half awake and goes, dad, dad. And I was like, I'm right here, buddy. And he snuggles up to me and he goes, my dad. And I just melted just like oh my god dude that's that that erases everything that just happened a million times over <laughs> you know like oh man yeah it's the best it's hard but it's the best wouldn't trade it for anything oh yeah my wife wanted me to tell you um that that viral video of you uh the first one of you oming to your baby we used to do that all the time with malachi and she has this whole ritual when she's putting him to bed they say prayers, they take a deep breath, and then they ohm together. And now he does it all the time. He'll just start ohming at mom. Yeah, he does it all the time. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. 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 Well, thank you for being amazing. And uh, yeah, thanks for this chat today. Is there anything that you want to make sure that we include that we may have not? Yeah, this Thursday at midnight, um, Eastern time, so 10 Mountain time, the first single off the new record drops. Um, it's a, uh, it's a lot different, but it's a very all-encompassing song, and uh, and the new record is phenomenal. I have Trevor Hall on the new record, G Love on the new record. Um, it's just the coolest body of work that I've ever made, so I'm really really excited about it, and I'm excited to get this first single out and and see everybody react to it. Um, so yeah, go to Spotify or wherever you listen to music and and listen to it. I'm stoked. Thank you for letting me know. And uh, yeah, thank you for that, that the courage to publish. I think I was reading a book once from Seth Godin called Lynchpin. 
Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about the like the absurd amount of number of would-be artists that just have not published. They just yeah. haven't published their work. Yeah, it's a scary thing, even at our level, you know, where we have hundreds of thousands of fans. It's still a really scary thing to be like, okay, here's this thing that I made. I hope you like it. You know, <laughs> there's a chance that they won't, you know. But yeah, man, I'm really, I'm really grateful. Um, that I get to publish, you know, and that people um, like my art, seemingly. It's a big win. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I'd, I'd love to, uh, before we hang up, I'd love to send you some tribe vitamins if you're open to it, Hell which yeah. is des- desiccated bison liver and or elk liver. I can send you one of both. Um, I think it'd be great. I'm actually excited for more f- fighters try it because i think there is like an anti-fatigue factor to this yeah you know i eat a lot of wild game i hunt and uh you know me and me and will talk about that all the time is there's uh you know whether it's subconscious or spiritual or whatever may be there's um there's something to be said about ingesting wild animals when you spend a good chunk of your time acting like a wild animal you know i think (laughs) i think it serves to what we do a lot um I think there's something really profound and primal uh, in, in eating an animal that, like you said, isn't fenced in. You know, yeah, there's a lot of magic in that. All right. Well, I'm excited to send some to you. And uh, yeah, thanks again for your time. And I like yeah, the, uh, I love hearing that. I love hearing about Trevor. It's like, it's like this is like the preview to the next uh, episode here. So thank you, man. Can't, can't say enough about him, dude. Can't say enough uh, about him. I'm st- well, I would say the same thing about JP. So I think I find that pretty interesting that we got to flip-flop our long-haired artistic friends. Yeah, as, uh, totally. Friends, mentors, allies, because JP's the same way. Um, you know, JP's like the most spiritual person I know, actually. Yeah, and that's what's so funny is um, that was what I really got from our conversation too, man. I'm, I'm hopefully going to hang with him in Austin. Uh, I really would like to get to know him better. He seems like a real sweet guy. So. Yeah, y'all have some fun for show. So uh, thanks again. I'm, I'm stoked for that uh, new single to drop and, and we'll stay in touch. Maybe I'll see you in Montana this summer. Yeah, I dare you. <laughs> All right, man. Take All right. care. Talk to you, bro. Peace.